0: From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. The election results are mostly in, and there are some surprises in Colorado, including two congressional races that have been too close to call. Voters emphatically kept Democrats in the top statewide offices, including Governor Jared Polis and Senator Michael Bennett.
1: And whether you voted for me or not, I will work as hard as I possibly can
2: on behalf of you and your family. We've got to do more. I want to go back there to end childhood poverty. We need to address a health care system that still costs too much and doesn't cover enough Americans.
0: And we'll tell you about one of Colorado's new representatives in Congress.
3: My name's Brittany Petterson. I'm the Congresswoman-elect for CD7.
0: And the head of Colorado's county clerks joins us to talk through the voting process. What
4: you get on a daily basis from Colorado Public Radio is thanks in large part to an ever-growing and dedicated community of support. As a member, you do more than listen.
0: You help fund CPR. Thank you. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. We're here to catch you up on what happened in the election and break down what it means for you and the state going forward. The big story, two congressional races are still too close to call. One of them was expected to be close. The other... Definitely was not. That's the House seat held right now by Republican Lauren Boebert. She's still neck and neck with Democratic challenger Adam Frisch. Late last night, Boebert thanked her supporters, in which she had anticipated would be an easy victory speech. Instead, it turned into a nail biter.
5: I want to thank you all so much. Everything that you have put in to this election, everything that you've put into our communities. It is such an honor to serve you, to represent you, to fight for our way of life. I have met thousands and thousands of people in Colorado's third district face to face and have taken the the issues that you are all facing to Washington, D.C. to provide a solution. And I am so eager to do even more
6: of that when Republicans take back the House,
0: She went on to thank God and talked a lot about the role of religion in her campaign. Around midnight, her challenger, Adam Frisch, spoke on the phone with CPR's zone Stina Sieg.
1: We've already had a huge goal of running a very serious campaign and making a very tight race of it when a lot of people never gave us the time of day and thought that I was off my rocker when I thought that there was a path to victory. I knew it was going to be tight. I knew it was going to be close. But I knew it could be done, and we're here.
0: Pritch said the closeness of the race reflects something he heard a lot on the campaign trail, that a significant portion of voters are interested in having a representative who is focused on legislation and not being a national celebrity. Representative Boebert has earned a reputation as someone who gets involved in a lot of national culture wars and says provocative things like when she yelled out during the State of the Union speech. Right now, about 3,500 votes separate the two candidates. The race to represent Colorado in the new 8th Congressional District, which stretches from Denver's northern suburbs up through Greeley, is also very close. This district was drawn to be competitive, and it is. As of this morning, Democrat Yadira Caraveo holds a slight lead over Republican challenger Barbara Kirkmeyer. At last check, they're separated by just more than 3,000 votes. Colorado statewide races turned out to be far less competitive. The Democratic incumbents were all reelected Jared Polis as governor, Michael Bennett as U.S. Senator, Phil Weiser as Attorney General, Dave Young as state treasurer, and Jenna Griswold as Secretary of State. Let's get some perspective now on the election. I'm joined by political analysts Sarah Hagedorn and Eric Sonderman for a look at what's going on. Sarah Hagerdorn teaches political science at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. Sarah, welcome. Good morning. Thank you. Eric Sonderman is a columnist and former public policy consultant. Hi, Eric.
7: Hello, Chandra.
0: Let's start with that race for the third congressional district, which includes the Western Slope and the Pueblo area in southern Colorado. Democrat Adam Frisch, a former Aspen City Councilman, led most of the night and still holds a very, very small lead. If Boebert were to lose, it would be a major stunner. What's going on there, Eric?
7: Well, you you nailed it. It would be a major stunner. Just the fact that we're talking about this race on the morning after is a stunner. And you would certainly rather be in Adam Frisch's shoes right now at 5 after 9 or 10 after 9 on Wednesday morning than you would want to be in Boebert's shoes. There is not a good report on exactly where these outstanding votes are. But they look like they might be in parts of the district that uh, are not necessarily all that advantageous to Bobert. If that's the case, mm. she is in real trouble. She's in trouble. In any event, this is a district that was designed during redistricting. It is a nine-point Republican district. We should not be having this conversation. It goes to show that insurrection and election denial is not a good look, and it's not a good look even for some Republican voters and a whole lot of unaffiliated voters. I think the message is that they're tired of the spectacle. They want somebody who approaches this job with gravity as opposed to celebrity. Uh, Lauren Boebert's political career could be a short one if she doesn't get a break today.
0: Mm. Sarah,
4: what do you think? First of all, I think Frisch was an excellent candidate for CD3. He looks, he talks like he lives in the district. Um, Also, I think maybe just maybe the voters in this district are tired of being the subject of national ridicule, and maybe this is a rejection of questioning the integrity of our
0: electoral institutions. So District 3 is close, as is Congressional District 8, which runs from Weld County down through Denver's northern suburbs. But pretty much everything else in Colorado was a big Democratic sweep. Governor Jared Polis and Senator Michael Bennett won by double-digit margins, and the Democrats kept every statewide office. Was it a bigger night for Democrats than you expected, Sarah? Absolutely. I was always kind of lukewarm on the
4: Republicans winning all of these big races or even some of the big races. But I was shocked by CD8 and CD3. Um, this looked like unaffiliated turning to Democrats and Republicans maybe not voting after being told for two years that their votes weren't being counted. Turnout was dismal. Yesterday in Colorado, we're used to being in 2018, our midterm turnout was 65 percent. Right now it's mm. looking at 50 percent. That's not where Coloradans are used to being. And we pride ourselves on turning out to vote. And I think this is a situation where some Republicans still believe that their votes aren't being counted.
0: Hmm. Eric. Eric, experts around the country predicted a big Republican wave, but that didn't happen. They made some gains. It's still unclear, though. But, for instance, which party will control the House and Senate? Why do you think those predictions were off?
7: I think the polling industry is going to come under the microscope once more. They've been under the microscope for the last few election cycles. This one, they missed it in the different direction, but they still missed it badly. Not only wasn't there a wave last night, I'm not even sure there was a ripple if, if Democrats uh, succeed in holding either the House or the Senate, much less both of them, uh, you could argue that not only wasn't there a ripple, but there was almost a toxic backflow the other d- direction. Uh, the Republicans had the whole set of issues that they wanted to talk about working in their favor from the economy, inflation, crime, mm. fentanyl. Those were top-of-mind issues for many voters, and that was in the Republicans' wheelhouse. And yet, voters had a fundamental hesitancy. I think some of it was driven by the Dobbs decision, as we've discussed, the the decision overturning Roe versus Wade. But more of that was driven by a fundamental unease with Donald Trump, with what the Republican Party has become, or at least one large wing of that party has become under Donald Trump, and the whole notion of an anti-Democratic, Democratic Democratic small d party out there that was demonstrated most vividly on January 6th of, of 2021.
0: Sarah, so many national races were so close, but in Colorado, the Democratic margins were pretty huge. Why the difference? I think that's a
4: great question, and I'm not sure we're going to know that for a while. Again, we're looking at low turnout in Colorado, and we're looking at two years of Republican voters being told that the electoral institutions are not secure and maybe not turning out. Um, I also think voters and Colorado voters are no exception to this – don't like the economy, don't like the inflation, Inflation. don't really like the president, but also don't like Republicans. Mm. Um, they don't trust Republicans to be able to be the adults and come in and fix it. And I think this is a really wake-up call for Republican candidates in Colorado and around the country.
0: Sarah, the common wisdom was that inflation and rising gas prices would benefit Republicans. Were those issues not as important to voters as we thought? I think they
4: remain as important today as they were yesterday, as they were last week. I just don't see voters trusting Republicans to solve those problems.
0: Eric, you want to weigh in on that?
7: I think that largely sums it up. The issues are still there. The issues are not going away. Whether there is a Republican or Democratic majority in the two houses of Congress, it's going to be by the slimmest of margins, but they will still have the burden of dealing with these issues. The problem in marketing terms, it's one of branding and the Republican brand driven by Donald Trump, has become a toxic brand. And they need a brand refresh or a brand redo. And until they accomplish that, and you only accomplish that in a presidential year with a candidate other than Donald Trump, until that is accomplished, this is the pattern.
0: Continuing with you, Eric, during our live coverage last night, Republican analyst Krista Kafer said Colorado is lopsidedly blue. Former Republican legislator Bob Ritwer who is now an unaffiliated voter, tweeted that Colorado is now California. Eric, is Colorado really as blue as California?
7: We might not be as blue as California, but we are certainly getting close. I think I've gained some notoriety over the years having a color wheel of what shade of blue is Colorado at any given point in time. When we started this evolution, I commented, you know, when we went from purple, then it was to periwinkle blue. Well, Chandra, we are a long distance past periwinkle at this point. (laughs) If we're not into full navy blue, you got to call it lapis or sapphire or cobalt or something like that. This is a blue state the fundamentals of this state now are consistently in a blue direction. Mm. And the real news of last night is twofold, real quickly. Number one is the margins the Democrats won by. These were not close competitive races. Number two is when you dig down into the results, you will find, I guarantee you, that even in Republican counties, in the El Paso counties, Weld counties, Douglas counties of the world, the Republican advantages were much more marginal.
0: So totally flip the color wheel. Now, back to Colorado, and particularly the state Republican Party. In the primaries this summer, the Republicans picked relatively moderate candidates with the thought that they'd have the best chance against Democrats. And yet, here they are, having lost almost across the board. Eric, what are your thoughts about what they're doing wrong?
7: What they're doing wrong is back to where we were a few minutes ago. It's a branding issue. It is It is not individual candidates. The Republicans, with a few exceptions, quite frankly, nominated a very mature, centrist, responsible ticket. People like Pam Anderson, Lang Sias, Joe O'Day. These are candidates that in a previous lifetime, Colorado voters across the board would have flocked to. But... As long as the brand, it's not about these individual candidates. It is about the overall message, the overall perception of the Republican Party. That is a perception that is driven by Donald Trump. And quite frankly, Chandra, in this state, Lauren Boebert became the poster child for the Republican Party. And even in her district, we are seeing this morning that that poster child doesn't sell. And it Mm. certainly doesn't sell in the rest of the state.
0: Sarah, what will it take for the Republicans to recover in Colorado?
4: Republicans have to regain voters' trust. Um, Similar to what Eric is saying, that we have to move beyond the Congresswoman Boebert's. We have to move beyond that message. And Republicans need to show that they can be mature adults in policymaking and that they have policy ideas and solutions, not just criticizing Governor Polis or President Biden. But this is going to be a trust exercise in Colorado.
0: I want to go back to the 8th Congressional District for a moment. Still too close to call with Democrat Yadira Caraveo of Thornton holding a slim lead over Republican Barbara Kirkmeyer. As you know, that's Colorado's new congressional district, and it was designed to be very competitive. But a lot of people in recent weeks thought Kirkmeyer had the edge. Sarah, is it closer than you'd expect it? Oh, yes.
4: I was wrong on this one, and I'm going to be the first one to admit it. I <laughs> said Kirkmeyer was um, going to show what midterms look like, right, that the out party picks up seats in a midterm. And I thought Kirkmeyer was going to be the maybe the one candidate in Colorado who was going to go along with that. We're going to see. There's 68 percent vote um, in in that district, we still have a few votes left, quite a few in Weld County, but that was that was a surprise. Uh, Caraveo used her um, used her benefit used things to her benefit. Mm. Um, she's looking at probably a huge Latino vote. Um, she kind of distanced herself from national Democrats with that, which I thought was smart, and talked about her own accomplishments here in the legislature. So I think she ran a good race for that district.
0: Eric, now let's talk about what these victories might mean more practically. Let's start with Governor Polis. What should be his most immediate priorities?
7: The political landscape certainly changed yesterday, but the facts on the ground didn't change. We're sitting here near downtown Denver. I was just at a meeting before coming over here in the heart of downtown Denver. The situation is the same today as it was yesterday. Inflation is similar today, the same today as it was yesterday. None of the facts on the ground have changed. And Democrats need to deal with those facts, and they need to deal with them in a responsible centrist. Yes, they'll be left of center, but they can't go too far left of center. They can't be crazy. But all that said, Chandra, Democrats in the state have a lot of running room. When you have a one-party state, which Colorado has increasingly become – They have a lot of latitude to indulge various constituencies to probably move a little bit further away from the mainstream than some people would like. But the facts on the ground remain, and we'll see how they cope with them.
0: Sarah, Michael Bennett will be going into his third full term in the U.S. Senate. The Senate is really the prime example of the polarization of this country. It's so split that very little gets done. And with last night's results, Will anything be different this time around? Unfortunately, no.
4: Um, there are some opportunities to get a few things done before the 2024 presidential election kicks off next week. Um, but I'm not sure these this group of senators we're sending back are going to be able to do it. I don't think we're sending any more true states people. They're going to be able to bridge this deeply and closely divided Senate. Um to be able to work on some immigration, inflation, uh, foreign affairs. Similar to what Eric said, Bennett has some real flexibility here after this huge win, really, last night. Mm. He could be a leader because he has six years until he goes before the voters again. He is representing a more blue state. He could really get out there on some issues. Um, he's talking a lot last night and today about his tax cut bill, health care. I think if he wanted to be, he could be a real leader on abortion rights.
0: Um, Whether he will or not remains to be seen. All right. Well, thank you so much, both of you, for joining us. Um, Eric Sonderman is a columnist and former public policy consultant. Sarah Hagerdorn is a political science professor at the University of Colorado, Colorado, Colorado Springs. They've shared their political insights with us throughout this campaign season. Our election coverage continues after the break. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC.
4: She thinks her ability to Google is going to figure out some big global conspiracy that- So many issues have wedged families apart the last few years. Personal, political, a global pandemic.
5: I haven't wanted to ask if you were going to get
3: vaccinated because I couldn't live with the terror that brings in me.
4: How one mother and daughter unwedged the issues that divided them. Colorado Public
0: Radio presents The Wedge, everywhere you get your podcasts. In his second term as governor, Jarrett Polis says he'll focus on making Colorado safer and more affordable. Last night, shortly after he found out he'd won his bid for re-election, he spoke with Ryan Warner from his victory party.
8: You know, listening to your victory speech, uh, you used a phrase that you have used throughout the campaign, and that is to save people money. Uh, That, I guess, then, is going to infuse your next term. That's what I take away from your speech, or one of the takeaways.
1: Well, look, I've always focused on protecting our freedom and saving people money. That means reducing costs and fees, capping the out-of-pocket costs of insulin, free preschool and kindergarten for every child, saving families thousands of dollars a year. When you look at the big costs that families have, health care and housing, those are the big two. So we're going to be putting a lot of effort into both of those to reduce costs and make Colorado more affordable for everybody.
8: When you say protecting people's freedom, will you be specific about what that means in uh, the next four years?
1: Absolutely. You know, we, we live in a, in a scary world. And uh, I always, you know, I was at the steps of the Sup- Supreme Court as a witness. I was a member of Congress when the Oberfeld decision came out. and. Uh, we won the right to marry who we love across the country. That's in jeopardy. The right to make reproductive health decisions of choosing when and if to have kids. Colorado is a, is a beacon of freedom. Uh, and I really love the fact that in our state, you can live the life you want to live. Marry who you love, decide when and if to have children, and there's room for everybody in our state. Uh, from, uh, from, from Julesburg to Grand Junction to Denver, no matter what your background, your cultural heritage, no matter who you voted for or what party you're in, Colorado is a place where you can your best life and recognize your dreams.
8: You know, the AP has called the Senate race for Michael Bennett. Uh, Caitlin Kim noted that that hadn't reached, that news hadn't reached the ballroom yet. Am I informing you of that?
1: Yes. Well, congratulations to Michael. I had not heard that. I'd heard he was running ahead. He's doing a great job as our United States Senator, and I really look forward to continuing to work with him. When Colorado needs something, I pick up the phone, and he's able to get it done. He's. he's I'm, I'm really thrilled, and congratulations to Michael Bennett.
8: There are obviously races that um, we may not see results for in other states for days, Uh, and that may mean that we don't have a clear picture of Congress and who controls it for days. You used to serve in Congress as a member of the House from Boulder. Talk to me about the potential for a contrast between some blue victories in Colorado and what may be some red victories uh, nationally.
1: You know, no matter who the people elect, both in our state uh, and across the nation, it's really time to work together to make Colorado and America uh, a better place. And, and I get it, most people run as Republicans or Democrats, and, 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 and they espouse that particular viewpoint. But it takes everybody to move our country forward, it takes everybody to move our state forward. I think what I'm looking for with the state legislature, Republicans and Democrats, I hope they bring good ideas from the left, from the right, from the middle, uh, to make our state an even more amazing place, to make Colorado safer, to make housing. And healthcare more affordable and to protect our environment and our air quality. We're a lot more bipartisan in Colorado than the national legislature. 93% of the bills I signed were bipartisan. Of course, Mm. who's in the majority makes a difference. But the vast majority of the bills that that we work on, in fact, you know, when I was elected last time, my very first call was to a Republican legislator who's our lead sponsor of free full-day kindergarten, uh, and we got it done. And likewise, I look forward to working with Republicans on saving people money and on making housing and health care more affordable.
8: Okay, final question is this. Your name has appeared on lists of potential Democratic presidential candidates. Is it possible that you would leave the governor's role to run for president? I am
1: focused 110% on on serving Colorado. I love Colorado. Uh, We're raising our kids here. Uh, This is the job that I always (laughs) wanted, and every day I pinch myself that I have the opportunity to do this great work. Governor, thank you for being with us. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Ryan. Take care.
0: Colorado Governor Jarrett Polis reelected for a second four-year term. He spoke with Ryan Warner last night as voting results came in. Coloradans resoundingly chose to give incumbent Democrat Senator, Democratic Senator Michael Bennett a third term. As Democrats celebrated their win last night, Bennett told the crowd of supporters that he had spoken to his opponent Joe O'Day once the final results were in.
2: I want to acknowledge Joe O'Day who called me. concede and to congratulate me uh, after 8 o'clock. He said I hope you do what's right for the state of Colorado and I said that's all I ever want to do and we agreed to stay in touch but I told him and I want to tell you that I appreciate the fact that he stepped up and ran for office. It's not an easy thing to do. Let's give him a round of applause for his willingness to run
0: and it also acknowledged Governor Jared Polis's successful reelection bid and thanked his family and campaign volunteers. And he talked about why he believes the Democrats triumphed in Colorado and about the challenges that lie ahead.
2: What I want to tell you is why we won this campaign in Colorado. And we won this campaign because we told the truth from the beginning to the end of this election. We said the same things in red parts of the state and blue parts of the state in our primary and our general election, we told the truth. And we focused on the struggles of working people in this economy. And some of you have heard me say this a million times, but if I had to summarize my town halls in the time that I've been in the Senate, it's very easy to do it. And this was before we were dealing with the inflation we're dealing with now. It's families coming and saying, Michael, we are working incredibly hard. We're killing ourselves. And no matter what we do, we can't afford some combination of housing, of health care, of higher education or early childhood education, we can't save. And this is the anecdotal reflection of an economy that for 40 years has worked really well for the top 10% of Americans and hasn't worked for anybody else. And this this was not an accident. There's been a 40-year Washington consensus since Reagan basically was president that said we're gonna privilege people in our society that wanna make stuff as cheaply as possible in China or Southeast Asia over lots of other choices we could have made like our own supply chains, like our national security, like being able to earn a decent wage in the United States of America. And as a result of those policies that Washington still has not corrected as we stand here tonight, we have the worst income inequality that we've had in a century in the United States of America. We are the richest country in the world, and we have the third highest rate of childhood poverty in the industrialized world. And I think that's unacceptable. I think that is unacceptable. We have to change that.
0: Bennett spoke about what he sees as recent congressional victories, the child tax credit requiring Medicare to negotiate drug prices, and he talked about the passage of a climate and energy bill.
2: That's going to be able to reduce costs in this country, it's going to enhance our national security, and finally, we're going to drive emissions down. This country is now positioned to lead the entire world in this transition we have to make over the next 25 years, and Colorado is positioned to lead the country.
0: Bennett also congratulated Colorado's newest member of Congress, Democrat Brittany Pedersen, who won an open seat vacated by Ed Perlmutter. Peterson has been a state representative and a state senator. She ran for the U.S. House on a platform that included economic recovery, energy independence, reducing health care costs and protecting reproduct- reproductive health care, including abortion access and protecting voting access and free and fair elections. And she told CPR's Caitlin Kim she'd work across the aisle.
3: I have always found unlikely allies uh, by taking the time to build relationships, understanding where people are coming from, their life stories, the things that they care about. I'm going to continue to work on trying to build those relationships and solve problems that are affecting people's lives. That's what people want us to do. They don't want us to have partisan bickering and, you know, locking down as caucuses, and they want us to actually work together to address the issues that they're facing every
0: That is Brittany Pedersen, who will represent District 7 in the U.S. House of Representatives. When we come back, how did the voting process play out across Colorado? We'll check in with the head of the county clerks. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC.
6: Colorado's Front Range. Just where does it start and end?
4: Why does Denver sometimes smell like dog food?
0: What's
1: the perfect seat at Red Rocks
0: for the best
8: sound?
4: These are the kinds of Colorado questions we've gotten and answered in the past. I'm Rachel Estabrook from the CPR Newsroom, and we want to hear from you, too.
3: Ask your question at CPR.org slash Colorado Wonders. Help us all discover more about our state of wonders. CPR.org slash
0: Colorado Wonders. Ballots are still being counted, leaving some races in the country and in Colorado still too close to call. Once the final count is in, it remains to be seen whether candidates or others will try to contest the results. There have also been concerns about the safety of election workers. Here to discuss how Tuesday's vote went and what happens next is Matt Crane. He's the executive director of the Colorado Clerks Association. Matt, welcome to the program.
9: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
0: So what was your election night like? Did you get any sleep?
9: <laughs> well, I think I got to bed probably about three thirty, four o'clock. So it was hearing from clerks all through the night about how the process was going. Um, so it, it was a busy day, but a good day.
0: Sleepless night for all of us in this industry. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about how things played out across the state right now. As we talk Wednesday morning, it could be argued that the biggest unknown is the state in the state this cycle is the congressional race in CD3 between incumbent Republican Lauren Boebert and Democratic challenger Adam Frisch. At last count, Frisch was leading by less than 5,000 votes. Matt, how is the counting done in really close races and what might trigger a recount of the vote or any other races that are too close to call?
9: So the the counting is continuing. You know, I think we see a close race there and in Congressional District 8 as well. So counties are continuing to go through very carefully, count each ballot. Um, They're still verifying eligibility on, you know, signature verification on some of these ballots, sending it through tabulation. We should have greater clarity, I think, on that later today. Um, And then after this process, so, you know, everybody thinks Election Day and it's done. It's not here in Colorado because... If you made a mistake on your um, with your signature on your mail ballot envelope, you, uh, you have until eight days after the election to cure that. And then our military and overseas voters, so long as their ballot was postmarked on election day, have until eight days after the election mm. um, where we can receive that and, and count that as well. So when these razor thin elections like this where it's, where it's super close, it could be a while until we truly have clarity in terms of who wins and who loses.
0: Definitely razor thin this time around. When you were here last week, we played a clip from President Biden's address to the nation asking for patience when it comes to determining results. I know it's barely been 12 hours since the polls closed, but do you have a sense of whether the message got through?
9: I think that's something we're always we're always pushing is patience. But look, in, in close elections like this, election officials know that people want results. They want clarity on it. And so they are working with all deliberate speed but will not sacrifice accuracy um, for speed. So, you know, it's, we always talk about that, have patience. But in races like this, especially big races like this, we know that people want to know results quickly. So we're, we're working as quickly as we can to provide that clarity.
0: In terms of the actual process what would you say went well on Tuesday? And conversely, what did you think did not go as planned?
9: And from an election administration point of view, I think the everything went very well throughout the entire election, not just yesterday. We saw a concerted effort um, by some folks to push people to vote, to wait to vote until after three o'clock on election day. Clerks, by and large, were prepared for that. If, if that's what they wanted to do, that was fine. We were prepared for that. There were a few lines in vote centers, but whether it's the way that mail ballots came back and have been efficiently processed in the state or the way that in most vote centers around the state, there was no wait yesterday. Voters were able to vote um, quickly, in most cases, without interference. And they can trust, Coloradans can trust that those ballots are being counted accurately. It was a good day for election administration in Colorado.
0: Yeah, it was a beautiful day weather wise. Mm -hmm. So that was positive. And I have been in Colorado for just over 10 years. And this was the first time I voted in person. (laughs) And it was like they say, no lines, no waiting. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, the safety of election workers like yourself was a big topic of conversation heading into the election were there any incidents at any Colorado polling places that you know of?
9: No. Yesterday seemed actually, it seemed very quiet in that regard. Just people who came in um, to exercise their constitutional right to vote. Poll workers did an amazing job. If you know somebody that is a poll worker who was or who was a, um, works for a county clerk and recorder, please be sure to thank them because it really was a seamless day yesterday.
0: Yes, the poll workers were so nice and they were smiling and everyone was in a good mood and encouraging you to come in and vote. I, that was, it was a good experience for me to have my first in-person voting. So we know that heading into the midterms, Republicans both here and across the country were telling many of their followers not to vote early by mail and to wait until Tuesday and vote in person. And you and others argued that that would actually slow down the counting of the vote. Mm-hmm. What can you tell us about the ballots that came in by mail? How did they break down in terms of Democrats and Republicans?
9: Still, we're still breaking some of that data down. I do think that we saw a little bit of an uptick in people coming to vote in person um, in some counties um, after 3 o'clock on Election Day. And I think you know, we're seeing the impacts of that out in Congressional District 3 right now where counties mm. are still working through ballots. Um, but again, that's you know wh- you know whether or not I think that was an effective strategy. Certainly, some of the bad actors that were pushing that they were pushing lies and telling people this is why you should go vote after three o'clock on election day. So they kind of scared people in that way, which is um, which is disgraceful. But counties are re- counties were ready for it and were able to process votes and voters efficiently. And now we just wait for for the outcomes to be to be clear.
0: Let's zero in on El Paso County. We know the clerk there, Chuck Roman, like you, is a Republican who has consistently called out the big lie of fraud in the 2020 elections. How did things go there?
9: I think, uh, you know, I spoke to Chuck um, multiple times yesterday, and I think you know, he and his team did a fantastic job, and you know they saw a bit of an uptick again. Same same deal, but they handled it uh, extremely well. And I think the the citizens of El Paso County should be extremely proud of Chuck Chuck and their team for for running a great election in the face of um, a lot of craziness over the last year or two down there.
0: You testified before Congress this summer, along with a number of other election ofic- officials, about issues including security and safety. Mm-hmm. What sense have you gotten from your counterparts across the country about their experiences on Tuesday?
9: So we're still trying to catch our breath in our in our own, you know, respective states um, from where we are. But in watching some of the things that went on, you know, I think by and large things went well all across the country. There were certainly some pockets where there were some things that happened, you know, where concerning things that happened. We're we're still trying to let the dust settle to see what what that actually was. There were some interesting reports out of Maricopa, um, some other parts of the country. But by and large, I think the election went pretty smoothly across the country, but we're still getting some of that information in as well.
0: Let's talk about a couple of things that came to light heading into Tuesday. It was widely reported that a number of states, including Pennsylvania, filed lawsuits trying to have mail-in ballots invalidated, many of them over what had previously been considered minor technicalities. It seems this was an organized effort. Was there any inkling of this happening in Colorado?
9: No. Um, And thank goodness for that. You know, what we do here in Colorado is very well established. Voters in Colorado, Republicans included, actually really love our model and the mail ballot, which is why you see every election, 94, 95 percent in these general elections, including the vast majority of Republicans, vote their mail ballot. Now, they may return it to a drop box versus mailing it back. But Coloradans love um, voting their mail ballot, and so no, we didn't see anything like that. Thank goodness. Um, and you know, a lot of that is the is a test uh, a testament to the well run elections that county clerks do across the state.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty new. T- like when I first moved here, I was really impressed with the with the mail in ballot and the drop boxes. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I moved here from Georgia, which is obviously a state being watched very closely <laughs> right now, and uh, I was really impressed with you know the efficiency of it. You know, is no lines, no waiting, as we say. Yeah, that's right. We talked with you a number of times leading up to the midterms about any number of threats to the electoral process. Um, there's the question of Russian interference, something we know happened in 2016. Correct. On Monday, conservative columnist Bill Kristol quoted an ally of Vladimir Putin saying, quote, We have interfered in U.S. elections. We are interfering and we will continue to interfere. Carefully, accurately, accurately surgically, and in our own way, as we know how to do, end quote. <laughs> what do you make of that?
9: Well, it seems based on what we've seen and in, in, in the intelligence we get, that they that the Russians were focused on um, amplifying mis- and disinformation. And it's one of the things um, that we have really been pushing back against and a lot of it is around the stolen election lie, whether it's the cracking and voting systems or dro- ballot drop boxes. They don't have to do much. The Russians don't have to do much. Our foreign adversaries don't. All they have to do is amplify disinformation that unfortunately too many people on the right have been spreading over the last two years. They can just amplify that and get out of the way. And then we turn on each other. And it's one of the It is disgraceful that um, so ma- that so many people and unfortunately so many people on the right right now, my own party, don't recognize that they're being played for useful idiots um, and they are perpetrating these things that are lies. Um, and it plays right into our foreign adversaries. Um, and it's it's a real problem. And we better get our head on straight sooner than later about it.
0: Now, are you encouraged by the fact that the election deniers across the country lost their races, particularly secretary of state races.
9: <laughs> yes, I am. Um, because, you know, there are things that we can do to approve our elections here in Colorado and obviously in other states across the country. But we can only make the changes that are necessary when we start with facts about what's really wrong and what's not. And one of the things that has been most frustrating for myself, for Chuck Berman, for um, other Republican, you know, Republicans, uh, election administrators, as we as we fight um, with some in our own party about this is the necessary improvements that we want to make to keep strengthening our model, we can't, even, we can't even start having those conversations because we're having to fight back lies and conspiracies. So we can't even focus on improvements we need to make. And so it makes it much harder to improve the integrity of our election um, and to, you know, to do things that we know we need to do.
0: At what point will you allow yourself to say the 2022 midterms are over and on the books and <laughs> you start focusing on 2024?
9: So we have a that's such a great question. We have a we have a few more weeks actually of the 2022 election. So like I said, there's still there's still time for votes to come in whether it's uh, those UOCAVA votes or military and overseas voters, whether it's signature cure issue. So that's 8 days. Then we go through our risk limiting audit which is the national best practice for post-election tabulation audits to verify that the the syst- our voting systems functioned accurately. And then we go through what's called a canvas process. So that's the uh, major political parties, Democrat and Republican, in each county appoint, appoint a canvas board member along with the county clerk and recorder. And they mm. go through all the data in the election. So making sure things like there weren't more votes than voters. They look at all the data. And then at that point, if they're satisfied, they sign off on the election. And it's at that point that the election is complete. And that'll be sometime, I think, right before Thanksgiving. And then, of course, if there's any recounts, we have to look at that um, you know, after, after that certification period. So Long story short, we'll get to December, take a breather, and then we start focusing right away on the future.
0: Speaking of breather, what's next for you? Is this the end of your term?
9: No, it's, uh, it's not. So, um, uh, you know, as the executive director of the Clerks Association, you know, we'll keep going um, and focusing on uh, preparing for elections next year. The legislation, uh, legislative session is coming up quickly. So lots of interest in election bills every year. So we'll keep focusing on that and keep building on our, our great model here that does a great job of balancing uh, voter access and election security.
0: Matt, thanks so much for joining us.
9: Thanks so much. I appreciate it.
0: Matt Crane is the executive director of the Colorado Clerks Association. He joined us to discuss how the 2022 midterm elections unfolded here in Colorado. We'll be right back to talk about the statewide ballot measures. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC.
3: Werfano is the Spanish word for orphan. And the namesake for Colorado's Werfano County seems exactly that. Huerfano Butte is a lonely little mountain miles from the rising Rockies to the west. It's been a landmark on the high plains of southern Colorado for centuries. El Huerfano was named when it was in Mexican territory. In the mid-1800s, the Fremont Expedition passed by and marveled at the mounds' rise from the surrounding plain, looking like a mammoth sugar loaf. Road crews who built I-25 also took note paving a pull-off at milepost 59 for northbound traffic to ponder from the comfort of a car. Thousands of people pass by every day. But even those who don't stop can't miss this stray protuberance with a story much older than human history. Millions of years old, Werfeno Butte is a stark and lonely volcanic outcrop that never erupted. A Colorado postcard from CPR, with the support of Sheets and
0: Giggles. Let's get you caught up on the statewide ballot measures now. Colorado's psychedelic mushroom ballot measure is still too close to call right now. At the moment, it appears to be passing, but that vote is not final. Proposition 122 is is a citizen initiative that takes a number of steps from the decriminalization of certain substances to the creation of places to consume them. CPR's Ben Marcus spent election night with the supporters of the measure and spoke with Ryan
6: Warner.
8: Ben, mushrooms kind of steal the show on this one, but it actually addresses a number of substances that are now illegal.
6: Right. So after a certain number of years, the state can come together and decide which substances other than psilocybin they want to legalize in Colorado. But it'll be a panel of experts who decides that.
8: Natural substances, they say. So mushrooms and what else could be on the table?
6: Mescaline. The experts have to come together and decide whether or not they believe there's therapeutic value to those substances, but psilocybin is the cornerstone of this proposition, should it pass.
8: Well, I think the operative word there seems to be therapeutic. Say more about why supporters want these to be more accessible.
6: The evidence and studies on psilocybin's effect on a range of mental health conditions is very compelling. High-level journals in science, the New England uh, Journal of Medicine, have found that it reduces significantly depressive symptoms and that it has a lasting effect over at least a year. And these are drug-resistant depressions that it's dealing with. So there is a lot of hope that this can actually have a significant therapeutic value for people who can't find it elsewhere.
8: Coloradans may be familiar with the dispensary model around marijuana. This would be different.
6: Yeah, so the dispensary model is a very commercial model. That's not what psilocybin would be if it passes. You would have healing centers licensed by the state. You couldn't buy it and leave the store with it. You can use it at the store uh, with the guidance of a licensed facilitator, but you can't buy it and walk out. You're not going to see lots of stores. There's strict limits on it. Uh, And it's not even clear what the profit motive is in these stores and how widespread they would be. So a lot of a lot of rules still have to be written by the state should this pass. What stood out at last night's watch
8: party for this 122.
6: Uh, it, well, it felt like a reunion of amendment 64, the ballot measure to legalize can- recreational cannabis in Colorado, a lot of the same figures We're pushing the psilocybin. Some of the same donors, some of the same folks who wrote Amendment 64 were there. I think this is the logical next step in the drug progressive drug policy movement was psilocybin. What an
8: interesting timing, because didn't we just pass the anniversary of the legalization of marijuana in Colorado?
6: That's right. 10 years. And so it's what was the next step. We've legalized cannabis. It's uh, illegal in many states across the country. The market is pretty mature now for that. And so, what's the next drug? Mm-hmm. And I think psilocybin is seen as uh, one that may not be as commercially big as cannabis, but has maybe even higher therapeutic value.
8: Now, this is a question of decriminalization, not legalization, correct?
6: So it's decriminalization, but also this therapy model too. So not only are you decriminalizing psilocybin, but the state also has to set up a system for these healing centers where people can go and use the drug at the center.
8: Have any other states gone forward to something like this?
6: Only Oregon. They have a system that would be very similar uh, to Colorado's, but Oregon's hasn't even started yet. They will hand out some of the first applications in January of 2023.
8: If I recall around the legalization of marijuana, it was Washington and Colorado. There's something about the Inner Mountain West and perhaps the Northwest.
6: They're very closely aligned politically when it comes to drug policy.
8: CPR's Ben Marcus, Prop 122, dealing with psychedelics. Was one of almost a dozen statewide measures on the ballot, and let's run down a few others with public affairs editor at CPR, Megan Verley. Hi, Megan. Hey, Ryan. Why don't we start with the measures we know have passed?
5: Sure. And we can start with Coloradans giving themselves an income tax cut uh, from a rate of 4.55% to 4.4%. That was Proposition 121, and it passed with more than 65% of the vote. The income tax, by the way, is something that both candidates in the governor's race uh, said they wanted to do away with entirely. So this vote makes it clear that Coloradans agree that they would like to see it come down at least a little bit. I will say what's funny is that they also, the voters, passed a measure that is intended to make it harder for future income tax cuts to pass. What's that one? That was Proposition GG. It was put on the ballot by Democrats. And it means that in the future, it will require any ballot measure that cuts income tax rates to come with a little table showing how that cut would affect different income brackets with the idea that voters might be less inclined to vote for measures where most of the benefits accrue just to the higher earners. Mm.
8: One more measure to talk about that affects taxes.
5: And that would be Proposition FF, I'm thinking, the free school lunch measure. You got it. So this would reduce income tax deductions on some of Colorado's highest earners, effectively increasing the rate of taxes they pay. And the money goes into the Healthy School Meals for All program, which uh, would provide all school-aged children in Colorado with free school lunches. As of late on election night, it had a 10-point lead, so it's looking quite comfortable. There are a few other measures that passed that I'll run through real quickly oh, here yeah. for you. Gold star spouses, people who've lost a husband or wife uh, to military service, will now be eligible for the homestead property tax exemption. And there's this constitutional amendment that shifts some sitting judges over to the new 23rd Judicial District. That passed pretty handily.
8: Okay. almost It almost felt like paperwork that you were helping the state with. Uh, what got a no last night?
5: Well, it's pretty clear that Coloradans do not want to expand which charities can raise money through gaming. Uh, This is actually the second time in two years that the legislature put this on the ballot. And voters rejected it by a wider, significantly wider margin this time.
0: Megan, thank you. Thanks, Ryan. That's Ryan Warner, along with CPR's public affairs editor, Megan Verlee, and CPR investigative reporter, Ben Marcus. There were also three statewide ballot measures focused on alcohol sales and delivery. Proposition 124 would have expanded how many liquor licenses a store can have. It was voted down. Two others, Props 125 and 126 are still too close to call. In Proposition 123, the affordable housing measure, is also still too close to call. For the latest election updates, go to cpr.org. Thanks for joining us today and to the entire Colorado Matters team
7: Tyler Bender, Carl Bielich, Anthony Cotton, Pete
2: Kramer,
4: Andrea Dukakis, Rachel Estabrook, Michelle Fulcher.
2: Matt Hers, Michael Hughes, Chris Ketchum, Pedro Lumbrano,
8: Patrice Mondragon, Shane Rumsey, Ryan Warner.
0: And I'm Chandra Thomas Woodfield. We'd like to hear from you on Twitter. We're at Colorado Matters or send us an email, ColoradoMatters at CPR.org. This is CPR News and KRCC.